Hi, I'm Madhuri Krishnan, editor of Skift Airline Weekly, and welcome to the podcast. We're doing something a little bit different with the podcast now. We're bringing you audio of our weekly live stream, Mondays with Skift Airline Weekly, which we broadcast every week, every Monday, at 11.30 a.m. Eastern. Join us next week. We'll take your questions while we discuss the hottest topics in the airline industry. You can register at forum.skift.com. Hi, and welcome to Mondays with Skift Airline Weekly. I'm your host, Madhuni Christian, the editor of Skift Airline Weekly, and I'm joined today by the one and only, the legendary Jay Shabbat, senior analyst and, co- and co-founder of Airline Weekly. Um, Jay, good morning. Good morning, Madhu. Although I guess in the East Coast, it's afternoon for you. Afternoon, yeah. <laughs> yeah lunch. Jay, that was quite an issue we put out last night. Yeah, yeah, a lot, a lot of good stuff. Um, we're rolling through earnings, second quarter earnings season, which uh, it's it's probably the wrong term because there are no earnings. Right. It's it's, uh, <laughs> it's more let's call them financial results, financial carnage. Um, but uh, yeah, always uh, never a dull moment in the airline industry. Action packed issue. No, absolutely. And you know, the week before we put out a kind of a behemoth of an issue, which was about the U.S. Uh, mainly the U.S. Uh, Airlines, mostly most of the U.S. carriers and Boeing had um, had reported their results a couple of weeks ago, but now now it's Europe's turn, and that's what the, was the focus of this week's feature story, which you wrote, and um, wanted to just dive into that a little bit. Um, so, Jay, there there are reports. You know, we've all seen the pictures in the news, and we hear about how Europeans are going on their beach holidays again, while us in the states are kind of trapped at home, depending on the state. Uh, so what does that mean for the airline industry? Are airlines seeing the benef- benefits of that travel that their counterparts in the U.S. are not? Yeah, well, well, they're getting, I mean, it started a little bit later in Europe. I mean, in the U.S., um, sort of earlier in the, uh, let's, let's call it late spring, early summer, uh, May, June, you started to see uh, demand to beach markets like Florida kind of increasing in the U.S., and then it, um, the European airlines really didn't get started until mid-June. Everything was pretty much grounded before that. And um, then uh, after, after the June restart, mid-June restart, um, by July and, and uh, early August, um, we're, we're seeing, you know, sort of this U.S. demand has slowed somewhat because mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, the COVID spike and the Sun Belt and whatnot. Um, Europe has, has, I don't want to say taken off, that's kind of too strong of a term, but but there has been some uh, green shoots. Can we can we use that term? Um, and it's uh, been encouraging, beneficial. But um, the there have been you know some some COVID spikes, not not on the order of you know U.S. magnitude, but um, in terms of number. But there have been um, some some increases in caseloads uh, throughout Europe. So uh, there's some questions now whether or not, you know, maybe, maybe the same thing that happened in the U.S. will repeat in Europe where it'll just be, you know, just kind of fizzle out. Everybody's kind of watching that. There have been some signs of that already. Um, Spain has had a big increase in cases and uh, the U.K. has uh, slapped quarantine rules on people coming back from Spain. So there, it's a very tentative uh, mini recovery, you might say. Hmm. There's a couple things I wanted to ask you about. One is that, you know, so Europeans are traveling more, but there's also been a push from, well, I guess let's back up. Have airlines seen the benefits of this travel? I mean, there's been a push from some governments and even populations to take more train journeys. So my first question is, are, are, 
are the are airlines reaping the benefits of all this travel or is is it not as much as as you'd expect in a normal year yeah no i mean it's nothing nothing even close to normal um you know a, a carrier like you know ryanair or easyjet or wizard um they're they're starting to fill their planes and they're you know they're operating many fewer planes or operating many fewer fleet frequencies um i'm sure the yields i mean surprisingly the yields from what, what what some of these airline CEOs say um, are not that bad. I mean, people are paying decent decent fares, but it's you know no one's really making money. I mean, there may be flights here and there that are covering. I mean, most of the airlines say they're covering their their direct cash costs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there may be some some genuinely profitable flights here and there, but I mean, you have to remember too that these airlines are operating um, such subscale networks because mm-hmm. so many fleets, so many, so many planes are ground utilization so low. That you know the the economics that are required to for them to make money, um, they're just not there right now. So we're really you know making money in the true sense of the world, the true sense of the word or term is uh, that's sort of something for another day. But but airlines are certainly benefiting from the um, you know just just getting being able to get planes started again, getting some people back to work, getting some cash in the door, getting so that so there's they're definitely benefiting. Um, so the longer term question that you raised is, you know, whether more people will take trains rather than planes and um, some of those bigger questions. But, but th- that, that's going to play out, you know, in 2021 and beyond. We don't really have a good sense of that yet. Well, you know, Mr. Anonymous or Ms. Anonymous here has, uh, has asked a question that preempted the question I was going to ask you, Jay, which is LCCs versus network carriers, which has the competitive advantage in Europe, in Europe I assume, under the current circumstances? Yeah, it's it's very different in the U.S. and Europe. And Europe. So the U.S. the the that we call them the big three, you know, Delta, American, United. Um, those are very str- domestically. I mean, they're international airlines, but their domestic networks are extremely large, extremely strong, and for the last few years, excuse me, extremely profitable, even more so than than um, than international. And they have these routes, you know. These uh, remember that domestic for the U.S. can be long haul too. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're flying from San Francisco to New York, that's that's a long, long flight, and people will pay for premium services and things. So the so the big three, call them legacy carriers, whatever you want to call them, they're very active in the in those you know in those big domestic markets. Europe, it's a it's a very different story. Most of the um, routes within Europe are are very very short haul. Um, people really won't pay for premium. It's um, it's a carrier like Lufthansa, the, the big three in Europe, Lufthansa, IAG, and Air France, KLM. Um, the vast majority of their revenues and their profits in normal times come from long haul. So short haul is has always been been a even even in the best of times, short haul is is a a big big challenge for these carriers. So if you look at the big the European big three relative to Let's call them the the LCC big three: EasyJet, Wizz Air, Ryanair. If you want to throw Norwegian in there, you know a few smaller players. Um, those, those LCCs are going to be better positioned um, because uh, as the short haul markets come back, these are all short haul airlines. I mean, these are 100% short haul airlines. So it's almost you could think of it as like for for a, you know an Air France, um, short haul is almost an afterthought, whereas for an EasyJet, it's everything. Right. Um, you know, you can lose a lot of money. I mean, Air France lost 200 million euros or whatever they said it was on just just French domestic markets. So, you can you can lose a lot, but you're never really going to make that much. So, so the uh, just a, a more direct answer to the question: um, the LCCs are, are actually very well positioned. I mean, Wizz Air and Ryanair 
are actually uh, they still intend to take a lot of the planes they have on order on order um, they uh, you know they their, their capacity is down now but probably won't be too long before they start growing again so they're they're sort of feeling you know even though they're they're not immune from the the near-term pain they're sort of feeling good about their position, you know, over the next year, two, three, four years. And, you know, for the for the purposes, you know, what, to clarify when you say dom domestic, right? I mean, um, KLM technically really has no domestic market, but it can we can consider sort of the Schengen area as its domestic market, right, Jay? Yeah, I mean, you can define it different ways depending on, you know, what you're talking about. Um, when I mentioned that Air France is losing 200 million euros in the domestic market, I'm talking about the domestic France, market. Right, I mean, it's, yeah. it's literally within France. <laughs> right. Yeah, um, but France and the Netherlands. Are, I mean, there's a difference. Yeah, I mean, K you're right. KLM doesn't have a domestic market. A lot of these countries don't. Um, you know, some domestic markets are bigger than even the UK domestic market is. It's very, very small. Right. Um, you know, the G German domestic market is bigger, mm -hmm. um, but uh, but still, it's it's yeah. You know, you're not talking about the U.S. market. So you could, if you want, you know, for comparable purposes, you could define domestic as, you know, intra-European, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, you might, you might just want to use the term short haul versus long right. haul. Um, now, you know, this, this is, a, this brings up an interesting question though. What, 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 what does it mean for carriers like Lufthansa, which, have, you know, for the last Lufthansa mainline, not, and we will talk about Lufthansa's ever-growing family of, of carriers but and brands. But Lufthansa Mainline, the, you know, the stork, um, decades or so has been, has really staked its, its fortunes on premium long haul intercontinental flights and those are gone. So what, what is, what is this, how is this going to dynamic going to play out for the say versus Lufthansa versus say like a, a Ryanair, Wizz Air, like, yeah, so, so the near near term, as we mentioned, you know, a carrier like Ryanair is going to be much better positioned than a carrier like Lufthansa. Lufthansa, as you alluded to, um, very very premium. They they might, I think they at one point said that they actually had more premium seats than any airline in the world in terms of what they scheduled. You know, you can maybe a Singapore Airlines, Emirates, I don't know, but but it's a it was you know long haul intercontinental premium. Um, and if you think about, it, I mean, Germany is is what is the third, third or fourth biggest economy in the world, and there's only really one airline. You know, China and the U.S. are the two biggest economies in the world, and they each you know have a lot, lot, lot of airlines. So Germany really captures all that, or Lufthansa sort of captures all that demand from from such a large you know corporate base in such a large economy. Um, so that stuff, I mean, for for Lufthansa to really be what it was and Let's, you know, as an aside, it never really was a super profitable airline. Mm -hmm. It was a decently profitable airline at best. Um, but for, for, you know, things to return that way, either, you know, a couple of different things have to happen. Either, you know, that long haul premium has to come back and it might. I mean, it's I, I think it probably will. It just it, it could take two, three, four years. Um, alternatively, what they're trying to do is, you know, the Lufthansa has always tried to um, find a way to make sort of leisure, low cost, long haul, you know, work for them. And they've, they've, they've always kind of stumbled through it. You know, they German wings and Euro wings and this wings and that wings. And it's never really, it's been very messy. So they're, they're going to try again to sort of reorganizing, reorganize everything. They're going to, um, use this, uh, this new sort of organizational design. They're, they're calling ocean air, but it's not, I think it's the ocean. Is that what it's yes. called? 
Um, it's, it's not, um, they're not going to use it as a brand. It's just kind of an internal name that they're using. Um, and you know, it's, they're going to try to take some of the stuff they were flying some long haul leisure with Brussels through with the Brussels airlines air operating certificate. And it was, it was just a, you know, very messy, um, from a organizational perspective, from a, you know, consumer perception, it, it's just very messy. So they're going to try to get that, you know, under control. Um, very hard though. You know, this is a, uh, it's a very large, large organization with, you know, high costs and a lot of expensive assets. The um, one thing that they do have um, potentially going for them is that um, they are kind of reworking all their labor contracts mm -hmm. now. So there's a possibility that they can achieve something more akin to, you know, a cost structure that, that, that a Ryanair or Wizzair, and it won't be that low. I mean, just make no mistake about that. But they could sort of become more competitive, um, you know, and, and, you know, frankly, all the airlines are doing that too. And British Airways is doing it and Iberia is going to do it and Air France is going to do it. So everybody's kind of bringing their cost base down to adjust to, you know, what they expect to be uh, a much lower demand environment. But yeah, it's going to be, I mean, it's going to be challenging. I mean, that's without, until that premium stuff comes back, it's tough. And they've got a lot of, you know, They've got a lot of debt to pay back and to the, to the government of Germany. And Let's pause there for a second, Jay. Um, you know, so in the last decade or maybe five, six, seven years ago, um, it's always, you know, there's always, it's always easy to make fun of Lufthansa and it's ever proliferating number of brands. Right. And I can't keep them all straight and I, I'm sure you can, but I can't, but you know, in the last decade, the whole German wings, Euro wings, I mean, there was a, uh, it was an, that whole confusion was a way for Lufthansa to bring down its labor costs because it had some very difficult negotiations with its unions back um, five, six, seven, five years ago or so. Um, and so this sort of reorganization or creation of new brands is a way to, to get around some of these tense, difficult negotiations. Um, is the same, are we seeing the same thing with Ocean for, or whatever it's called? Is this another sort of way to get around the unions or is it, uh, it or just to cut down on labor costs? Yeah, I mean, I think what's different right now is that uh, Lufthansa is just negotiating um, labor concessions just across the board, mm -hmm. um, just everywhere throughout, you know, all of its subsidiary airlines, all of its business operating units, just everywhere. They're just, you know, we, 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 need, we need to be lower, lower wages, lower, more flexibility, whatnot. Um, so that, in that sense, it's different. I think what Ocean is specifically, I wouldn't really get too caught up in this, its significance, its larger significance. I think it's more of just an internal um, uh, procedure to um, simplify their low-cost operating, um, their low-cost operations. Uh, it's, it's actually, I think, you know, a lot of that stuff was going to be flown under the Eurowings brand still. Um, I think they're going to incorporate some principles from, um, speaking of the, you know, many operating brands that the group has, one of them in Switzerland is uh, called Edelweiss. And Edelweiss is sort of a lower cost, lower frail carrier um, that operates long haul flights. And it's been relatively successful. They never really disclose, you know, what the margins are or anything like that. But they always say it's been, it's been good. It's been successful. So they're kind of trying to replicate some of uh, what worked there in Germany. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, there's, of course, competition matters. Um, mm -hmm. There's, uh, you know, TUI is a big carrier in Germany that also offers long haul flights. Condor um, is, they 
were part of Thomas Cook, so they nearly went away, but they wound up getting a government bailout. Um, Lot Polish agreed to buy them, and they backed out after the pandemic. Now there's talk that maybe Tui and Condor will get together. So what happens with that competitive landscape will also, you know, determine whether Lufthansa can, you know, make a go go of it with some of these long haul, low cost flights. But it is just for I mean, low cost, long haul is just who's made money of that. I mean, nobody. The, right. It's the, a the, tough, the, tough business model, isn't it? it? The business model is very, very tough. The economics are very, very tough, and you know that's kind of a separate discussion. Right. We've we have, we've you know kind of written many articles about that and stuff but it's yeah very that that's that's a um it's a hard business model well you know let's let's take this question from uh, mr ms anonymous here um and we so we've we just on this podcast we've talked about uh the big three european carriers we've touched on the ryanairs and 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 um whiz airs and easy jets but um this question is good i mean what what is the future of second level carriers in Europe, like Swiss, SAS, Top Air Portugal, Finnair, Alitalia, etc. Yeah, good question. Yeah, they're all, I mean, you, you sort of have to each take each one separately. I mean, Swiss, first of all, is part of the Lufthansa group and extremely profitable. I mean, Switzerland is just such a wealthy country that they, um, they're they just able to produce such enormous yields from, from Zurich in particular. And Zurich is not even that infested with low-cost carriers. Geneva is. Geneva is mm-hmm. tough for Swiss. But but Zurich is is a just such a profitable market. You know, you can imagine flying all those bankers and pharmaceutical <laughs> executives back and forth across the Atlantic and to Asia in in normal times. Um, so so Swiss, uh, they you know back in two thousand five, they were able to uh, you know strike a deal with tons of to take them over. So they're they're no no problems there. Um, <laughs> SAS, that's that's a tough one. SAS is um, we always kind of think of them as a uh, you know, a boat that's constantly taking on water and they just, you know, they're, they're just, they're always pumping out water, cutting costs, cutting costs, cutting costs. And it, um, you know, the competitive environment in the Nordic region is going to be very different now because, uh, you know, Norwegian is a completely different, they've, they've totally changed their business, I won't say change their business model, but completely restructure their costs and their operating model. Um, SAS is trying to do the same. So we'll see, you know, what they, what they're able to achieve with their unions, what they're able to, you know, they're trying to negotiate, concessions with pretty much all their all their stakeholders anybody they owe money to whether it be your craft lessers or bondholders so uh they may come out in a better place you know in a, in a more but but it, but but sas's problem has always one of the one of their kind of core problems is always that they're they they have three hubs essentially right. three subscale hubs mm-hmm. and you know the whole principle of economies of scope is you kind of want to amass all your you know your your big assets in one big hub you know, unless you're, you know, a, a giant like Lufthansa can spread it off across different hubs, but, or, or you know, U.S. carrier. But, um, I mean, even Lufthansa has issues, you know, making money in a place like Vienna or Brussels. So if you have, you know, Copenhagen, uh, Stockholm, you know, Oslo, they're not bad hubs, but they're, but they're, they're not, you know, they can't support that much global traffic. There's not, so they have, they have a very, um, it's kind of, kind of split their, you know, they're sort of splitting up their, their strengths. But politically, um, and, you know, they, they wouldn't be able to. Politically, it'd be hard for them to pull off uh, consolidating in, say, Copenhagen, right? Yeah, I mean, th- yeah, because they are owned by the Swedish and, and Danish governments, um, and so, so yeah, that's. I mean, p- politics is probably a non-starter. And even you know, even if they were to just become a Copenhagen-centric carrier, that that 
you know, creates problems of its own because Copenhagen is really not that big. And then, <laughs> right. you know, you're going to have to get even smaller and you have more. So SAS is, it's, it's not, you know, it's not a really great strategic position, but, but, uh, but it does, you know, the region does have a lot, a lot of, you know, uh, high fare business traffic in normal times. So they've been able to, uh, you know, in a good year, SAS will make a, you know, a small, a decent, mediocre margin and get, get by. Um, I guess we're spending too much time on each airline, but, um, but, but yeah, in general, you know, and then you have some of these other airlines that are very dependent on sp very specific overseas markets. I mean, tap, tap air Portugal is, is all about Brazil. Mm -hmm. They've become a little more U S I mean, Brazil and, um, some of the Portuguese speaking African countries, um, you know, Finnair is all about East Asia. You know, they're, they're just Helsinki is well positioned to do that. Um, Alitalia. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the subject that's a for a whole difference. So more lives than a cat, that airline. Um, more lives than a cat. <laughs> but that's a subject for a whole different podcast. I think we could spend hours on Alitalia. Um, but, but, when, but, you know, I'm, I'm a lot of money on Alitalia. Yeah, well, I, everyone spent a lot of money on Alitalia, right? It's just a, a, it's a never ending pit that can, money can be shoveled into. Um, but, uh, you know, Finnair and TAP are kind of interesting, right? I mean, Finnair in particular has that, uh, as you mentioned, the the strong presence in East Asia, which was hobbled early on in the pandemic, um, as, you know, naturally as the pandemic began in East Asia. Uh, do, is, are there signs that that traffic is starting to come back? Is Finnair in a good place right now? Or is it uh, still, has it staked, staked its wagon to the wrong star? Yeah, no, well, I would say that, but I mean, it's, it's, you know, right now, everything is still kind of dormant. There's still all sorts of travel restrictions and there's just not that many people. I mean, there, there's, you know, there's, there's a little bit of growth, you know, some people are traveling back and forth, but you know, Finnair's whole, you can, they're basically a one trick pony. It's Europe mm -hmm. to Asia. So anywhere in Europe, um, whether it be, you know, it could be Germany, it could be France, whatever, flying to Japan, especially, but also, you know, China, Korea, Singapore. Um, going through Helsinki is very convenient. It's, it's a great hub for that, mm -hmm. um, geographically very well positioned, but you have to believe in the future of the Europe, Asia market for you to believe in Finnair. I mean, it is, it really is a, it's a, it's a, you know, it's, it's a one horse town. So, um, you know, what's the future of that market? It's yeah. I mean, Europe, Asia, these are, these are two, you know, giant economic centers of the world. Um, you know, there's, there's sort of the larger question of, you know, what is, China's future in the global economy, what is, um, you know, a lot of, particularly between the U.S. and China, you know, a lot of those trade links that really, you know, define the economy of the last 20, 30 years are starting to unravel. Mm -hmm. um, and even, you know, there, there, you see this even between Europe and a lot of the European countries and China, a lot, a lot of tensions, a lot of, you know, um, uh, threats to, to trade. Um, Germany, we, we started, Germany incidentally has, is taking more of a you know, conciliatory approach to China. It's been mm -hmm. the relations are perhaps a little better there. Um, but uh, that's, you know, that's kind of another question about the, the long-term links, uh, long-term role of China in the global economy. Um, but if you, you know, for Finnair, if you believe that uh, there's still a, you know, future in Europe, Asia travel, they're going to be okay. Yeah. And it is, you know, it's a good, it's an airline that they have a lot of, you know, they got good government support um, in this pandemic during this, you know, crisis. They, uh, they've always had a pretty good balance sheet. Um, you know, they've got new A350s that are good aircraft. And they, they were lucky, too, because they did not purchase any. They did not order any narrow bodies before the pandemic, and they were, they were they're, they're thinking about it. So now they can go in and do the order mm -hmm. when, they're, when they're ready. 
and probably get a great price because the aircraft market is so depressed right now. Right. Um, all right. Another question from Anonymous here. Um, do, do you think Europe has too many airlines? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, I, I think so. I think it's different than the U.S. I mean, Europe still is very fragmented. Um, there's, there's of course, been, you know, in the last 10 to 15 years, there's been a lot of consolidation. Um, but there are still all these kind of tiny little airlines or parts of airlines. I mean, Finnair is a good example. I mean, Finnair, because it has such a strong Asian network, it would ideally be part of something else, right? You can couple that with some yeah. with a carrier that might have a great North Atlantic air, uh, network, which is one reason why, you know, IAG has been, um, you know, kind of rumored, rumored uh, you know, partner for them for a long time. Uh, IAG and Finnair have a joint venture, though. Does IAG, you know, want to take on the risk of buying it? That's another question. Um, you know, Tap Air Portugal, too. I mean, it's, there's always been, you know, Lufthansa was very, before the pandemic, Lufthansa was reportedly very interested mm -hmm. in, in buying Tap Air Portugal because you get yourself an awesome Brazilian network. Um, but, but yeah, there are these like little sort of, you know, one trick pony airlines and undersized airlines. And, um, and then there are airlines like uh, Romania's Tarum, Tarum. Like, and then these, you know, just real dysfunctional airlines that just, yeah, they, you know, the money, just, the state just keeps throwing money at them and they, I probably shouldn't say they're useless. <laughs> no, but, 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 you know, the point is that there are a lot of uh, small carriers that are struggling as well, yeah. like that one, right? Right, right. And, and it, you know, and, and if, like Romania is a good example. Like Wizz Air is just, you know, they, they serve Romania, mm -hmm. um, tremendous schedules from Romania um, and Tar Tar Tarum or Tarum, whatever you call it. They don't even do any long haul. So they're basically doing the same exact thing as, right. as Wizz Air and Wizz Air is just doing it a hundred times better and more cost effective. So there are airlines like that. And then, you know, your Air Maltas of the world, these just kind of very, very small, small airlines that serve, you know, just the very limited purpose of bringing tourists to the home country mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, you know, it makes it consolidation is of course more difficult when you have national borders. Um, Air Europa is um, a Spanish airline with a great Latin American network that IAG um, struck a billion euro deal mm -hmm. to buy before the pandemic. Now they, they still are very much interested but want to re renegotiate the price. Um, so yeah, consolidation remains active. There was the Condor, you know, situation we talked about before. Um, SAS is an interesting one. Would anybody want to buy them? You know, with Lufthansa, Lufthansa gets themselves a, if they, they were to buy SAS, I'm not talking about right now, nobody has the appetite or even, or even the permission to buy a lot like Lufthansa did cannot, but because of their bailout, they can't buy any airlines right now. But let's just theoretically say in a couple of years, they want to buy SAS, they get themselves in, you know, a very corporate rich Scandinavian network. But they get three undersized hubs that, you know, kind of look like they're Brussels hubs, which they've been struggling with for years. So that's why, not? Kinda... why not add to the number of brands they have? Yeah, we, you know, more than merrier. But, you know, Jay, you're the, the person I know in this industry who, who comes closest to having a crystal ball. And, uh, do, you know, so, what, you know, after 9-11 and the, the wave of bankruptcy, you know, after 9-11, the U.S. industry went through a wave of bankruptcies and a wave of consolidation. Um, there was something similar that played out in Europe, but not quite to the same degree. But this is a crisis like no other. Do you think this crisis is some, could be a catalyst for more consolidation in Europe? Yeah, I mean, it could. I mean, remember, you do already have three big groups mm -hmm. um, that won't merge with each other. I mean, IG, Air France, and Everest KLM and Lufthansa Group are kind of three distinct. So if anything, it's going to be more like, you know, in the U.S., we saw, you know, 
American combined with U.S. Airways, two mm -hmm. giant carriers, you know, and Delta combined with Northwest and, you know, United combined with Continental and Southwest combined with, you know, Air Trans was a little smaller, but, you know, Virgin Alaska were two very big airlines. It, it will be more, you know, if it happens in Europe, it's more like, okay, Lufthansa wants to, you know, buy a Finnair because they want more Asia exposure or something like that. Just kind of, kind of like uh, uh, add a little piece onto the puzzle type thing. It, it's, um, so, so will that happen? Um, and will this crisis kind of be a catalyst for more of that? It could be, but, but in a way it's almost the opposite. Like the, 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 the problem with consolidation is it's, it's, you need, you need capital to do it. It's, right. you know, with all these balance sheets and all these, you know, even government restrictions, like we talked about in Germany, um, it does make it, um, it make, makes the, the appetite for, for mergers or even, you know, as we said, the permission for merger, it's maybe now is pro you're probably not going to see much of that now. I mean, I think you will see, you know, IAG will probably get a good deal to buy Air Europa. Um, you know, there may, there may be some other, uh, smaller opportunities. I don't, you know, I don't know whether anybody will pick up Condor or something, but, um, but it would have to, it would have to wait. I mean, right now, nobody wants to really, they have other things to deal with than, a, than, than a complicated merger. So, you know, you're talking, it's, it's, it would, it would take some time. Yeah. It would definitely take years. Mm -hmm. Um, all right. We've got time for one last quick question. Let's answer this quickly. How has the cargo industry changed in Europe after the arrival of COVID? Um, yeah, I mean, maybe you can speak more to that, my dude, but, uh, obviously, you know, um, the, 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 the cargo capacity, um, throughout the world is is so uh, is so much smaller now mm -hmm. because all these planes are grounded. So you know these, these airlines carry, of course, cargo in the bellies of their passenger aircraft. So you have all these planes sitting on the ground. So that supply um, reduction combined with uh, you know a real need for medical supplies and you know everybody's working at home now. They're ordering computer equipment mm -hmm. and that stuff's coming from you know that's uh, these global supply chain stuff is coming from all over the world. So. You have these carriers like Korean Air, which um, uh, and Asiana, which are two uh, very cargo heavy. They're passenger airlines, but very cargo heavy. Twenty twenty five percent of their you know revenue in normal times comes from cargo. Um, they actually made, those are the two air, only two airlines in the world that actually made money last quarter because they just the, the cargo yields were so enormous. They were just uh, so profitable. And and you know I know your questions about Europe. Um, Lufthansa, uh, their cargo um, operation made a lot of money last quarter wasn't enough to offset the passenger stuff, but, um, it's a, uh, you know, just a very robust times. I don't know whether to, I mean, you have to imagine that will cool off. I mean, as you know, as, as planes come back right. and as you know, the, the, the pandemic eases, um, you would think that more of a temporary phenomenon, but, but it could, it could stay strong for, for some time. Right. I mean, cargo yields are up sort of reversing a, a years long decline as, uh, as uh, you know, trade tensions took a bite out of global commerce. Um, the right, pandemic... right. Yeah, just a year ago, we were t you know just before this, we were talking about yeah. this pandemic. We we're talking about how right all the the trade wars and the decoupling of the Chinese and U.S. Right. economy, all that kind of stuff, were were actually um, you know big big problem for for cargo. Absolutely, and so the yields are up, but uh, when more passengers start flying again, more capacity is thrown back in the system, yields will go down again. So let's, is it twelve thirty already? Is, we didn't even get we didn't even get to Copa. We or? didn't. We didn't. So mm. we got to stop this here, Jay. We'll we'll pick it up again after our hiatus. We are on break. Sounds Airline good. Weekly's last issue this this summer is August seventeenth, and we will that's our last podcast, and we will we will be back on off after Labor Day, the Monday after the Tuesday after Labor Day. So Jay, I want to thank you again for this great uh, discussion. 
And yeah, thanks, Mabu. Thanks, everybody listening. And thank you to all our listeners. We'll have a replay of this on our site later today. And um, we will be distributing the audio as a podcast on iTunes and Spotify and wherever you get your podcasts. 